Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, this is former Blue Devil alignment Matt Skura. You're listening to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. Go Duke, go ACC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel. Mike, season recaps. We roll on. We know what we say about Virginia, right? Virginia's awesome. Virginia's there. It off. is. Oh, good on a loop. Beautiful. Justin Ferber joining us, editor in chief, Cavs corner. Uh, Justin, you you know what we're about to do here. We're about to recap the Virginia football season. You're always so gracious with your time. We appreciate you joining us. How's it going? Pretty good. I would say most UVA fans, if they're listening to this, would probably rather look forward than back. But let's do a little bit of both, I guess. We'll do both. We'll do well, both. Yeah, I mean, I feel like looking back is kind of part of looking forward because, you know, I, I see this and it's a season where Virginia goes three and nine. And obviously that's not ideal, you know, pretty well removed from bowl eligibility. But I also see a team that went two and five in one score games. I see a team that I'm I, I felt like I test wise looked quite a bit better towards the end of the season than they did at the beginning. I feel like there was I, there was confidence that grew in me that this Tony Elliott and his staff that it's going to work out that it's going to improve over the coming years. Did you get the same sense, uh, just yourself, or do you sense the same from the the fan base that there's confidence building in in this regime? I mean, I think in the first half of the season, uh, you know, they start zero and five. So, and and we kind of I remember you know when we talked in August we talked about that possibly happening you know based on the schedule that they had, um, and. You know, it's really tough when you're in that stretch to feel good about anything, even though some of those games were close. Um, the fifth loss was to Boston College, and that one was one where Boston College was not playing well. I honestly think they were probably one of the worst teams in the league, um, even though they won seven games. Dub, um, tell me, buddy. Mike, yeah. tell me. On Boston yeah. College. <laughs> yeah, they played like a really soft schedule, but that's, yeah. you know, you can talk about that when you preview them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think like after that, they sort of. I don't want to say they like found momentum because they didn't really, you know, they didn't turn it into a bunch of wins, but they started to kind of play a little bit better. And, um, you know, the, the North Carolina win was, was huge, I think for, for Elliot and his program and, and just kind of showing that they can accomplish some things. Cause I mean, like even in year one, you know, the, the bright spots were super hard to find. And then obviously everything that happened off the field that ended that season, um, happened and that kind of is another thing that you have to sort of overcome and there's no blueprint for that but yeah I thought like they were competitive I mean you mentioned the two and five in, in close games like um, and some of those games were you know like the Boston College game games that you they could have won but just didn't make enough plays but they were close NC State another one you know is tied with like what 30 seconds left and then NC State goes down and makes a field goal after some bad penalties and you know, Louisville, that game, I think they were up at least seven in the fourth quarter. I think they might have been up 10 at one point after being down 14. Um, and that's when Louisville was peaking. Um, mm-hmm. And and that was on the road. And, and that one was, that was, yeah, yeah. And yep. then they, they go to overtime with Miami and lose in overtime. Um, you know, so they showed some promise. But they also had a few just, like, absolute disasters um, in there, too. So I don't want to, like, you know, just paint over that stuff i mean the maryland game was bad in the second half the georgia tech game was bad pretty much from the start um the virginia tech game was really bad um so i mean like there's still a lot of room for this team to move like towards consistency but at least they were competitive against some teams that they weren't really expected to be and then they they won a few games they beat duke um they beat north carolina like i mentioned before so i mean 
certainly felt better at the end of the season than at the beginning, but the way that the season ended against Tech was, you know, kind of a reality check, I guess. It was kind of a, a weird year because I think the start of the year kind of went how we talked about, right? You, yeah. you brought that up, you know, in the preseason, we were discussing it like, okay, the possibility of starting 0-5 is certainly there. That happened, but then, you know, like Joey mentioned, it felt like as the season went on, you know, Virginia started to kind of find their footing a little bit and show some signs. You mentioned, the you know, the North Carolina win being pretty significant, coming on the heels of the William & Mary win, getting on the board with the first one of the year. Um, really, it just felt like even in the close losses in the second half of the season, Virginia kind of had this like high variability, right? And the reason why I point to that is because Anthony Calandria started playing more significant snaps in the second half of the year with Tony Muscat getting hurt. Um, I know Calandria played that one game, I think, in September, um, and then he was benched again when Muscat came back. Yeah, he played, I think he played three. Um, yeah. Well, he finished the Tennessee game, but that was garbage time. Then right. He played JMU and Maryland and NC State. Yeah. Right. So he's so so he's in the lineup. Joey and I are thinking that, you know, Calandria should just be the guy the rest of the way. They bring back Musket into the fold, and Musket kind of has a couple games where he's playing pretty well. Then he gets banged up again. <laughs> yeah. Joey and I kept just flip flopping on quarterbacks. We're like, okay, like. The good version of Mus- the good healthy version of Musket is pretty good, and you know Calandria, he's got some variability, but he's got some promise too. It just feels like the team took the identity of Calandria in the second half of the year when he was playing more snaps. Just felt like there was some high points that we weren't sure the offense was going to necessarily meet, and then there were also just some low points where it was like, okay, he's still a freshman, he's making those kinds of mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, Musket was the more consistent player, and I think that's why he was the starter in camp. Um, Calandria, he looked really good in the spring. He, came, You know, he enrolled early, and I was like, man, this guy looks, like, way better than the typical true freshman that you would see, and, and we weren't thinking he would play or anything, but, you know, it's like, okay, maybe he can be a competent backup, and you know you're one injury away from having to start him. So, you know, that kind of carried into the fall, and I think Musket won the job, and, and I don't – I don't really think UVA had a quarterback competition at any point during the season, which is weird considering that they both played. Um, but like, you know, Musket had the job fairly in hand going into camp, kept it, started the year, got hurt. Calandria played when he was hurt. And I think a big reason that Musket was able to take his job back so easily um, after those games that Calandria started was that UVA wasn't winning. They were 0 and 4. Um, and, you know, Calandria and, and this kind of carried on through the season, but, you know, he would be he would have like some really high highs and, you know, like the JMU game. He was really good. Um, the first half of the Maryland game, he was really good. He kind of brought him back against NC State. And then later in the year, he he had some similar moments, but then he threw a lot of t- he threw, just threw a lot of picks. And that's why, like, he became kind of a meme. <laughs> he was just like people were like, who is this guy? Like they would turn on UVA games because they had all these night games and they were, you know, he would just be winging the ball around. And it was fun to watch. But, um, you know, definitely like cost them a couple times with with some just bad picks. And you expect that from a freshman. So you can't really blame him for that. Um and then Musket was more consistent. I mean, he won the North Carolina game. He was in the Miami game that went to OT. Then he got hurt at the very beginning, the first drive, I think, of the Georgia Tech game. And then Calandria comes in, and, and Calandria played really poorly in that one. And I think that was because he just wasn't prepared to play. You know, he hadn't been practicing with the starters and all that good stuff for a few weeks. So, I mean, I think, like, you know, the Duke win, he looked he looked really good. Um, he was pretty good in the Louisville game. The George, the Virginia Tech game, I don't really want to put on him. I mean, I, he didn't play well, but I think there was like nobody was playing well, and I think that kind of you know made things spiral a little bit more than than maybe they would have otherwise. But they just couldn't move the ball, um, and you know I think Calandria has more upside going into this season, and I think this spring and fall you'll probably get into more of a quarterback controversy situation where it's like both guys are probably on evil even footing right now. Um, and Musket has less eligibility, and Calandria is a more high upside guy. I mean, if I was betting right now, I would. I think Calandria is probably the starter. Um, but you know, I think that they're going to kind of look at it because 
it's one of those situations too where like it's not like the staff inherited musket they like went out and got him so he's their guy too you know otherwise you see a lot of times coaches will want to play their guy if it's close um and i think this one you know it could be either guy but I mean, it's one of those situations where, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they both play at some point just because Calandria is really small. And that was one of the reasons that UVA was able to get him in the first place um, is because he was so small. And, um, you know, Musket obviously was hurt twice. So, you know, it's something to consider going into this year. But I'd say Calandria has the higher upside and could be a very good college quarterback. And then you get into the whole, like, can they keep him if he becomes that guy, <laughs> you know, and that all that stuff. So. Yeah, all the wonderful things about college football in this day <laughs> right. and age. Love it. Um, I, I'm curious to get your take on this, Justin, or just at least your your opinion, kind of where you stood, was I, we saw a lot of the same things from Calandria, a guy who sh- flashes a lot of potential, has a lot of exciting plays that he makes, but also mm-hmm. is a freshman and makes a lot of very freshman throws, you know, going to turn the ball over a bunch, like that kind of thing. When, when they – Went back to Tony Musket. I remember, and this was when, again, Musket recovered from the injury that he'd suffered against Tennessee. I remember Mike and I talking about, like, I don't like this move. I think stick with Calandria, take your lumps. This guy is the future of your program. You know, you, you don't have to win anything right now, but you're showing potential at the moment. Did did you agree with the decision to go back to Tony Musket, or were you kind of in that same camp of let's just stick with Calandria and see what happens? We talked about it on our podcast and and like what's the right move, you know? And uh, we we were kind of, I think that we had like a split decision there. I mean, I, I know a couple of the other there's three of us, and I know the other two were pretty strong in the like just go back to Musket camp. And the reasoning was sound. I mean, it was like like I said before, you know, like they weren't winning games. Calandria wasn't the problem necessarily, but I think at that point he had like thrown I don't know, like five touchdowns and five picks. Um, in the NC State game, he threw two in the second half, and and they were both. The, the one thing I will say about Calandria is his interceptions and things like that are him trying to do too much. It's not like inaccurate throws. It's like he's putting balls into places they don't need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that honestly, like for UVA football this year, like there wasn't a whole lot of um like high expectations you know they don't have a bunch of guys on the roster that people were like fired up about necessarily but you know you want to see that because you'd rather see that than have somebody just checking it down constantly and not converting first downs um but yeah i think there was some debate i think it was a pretty easy decision for the staff because um they had said you know, and maybe they kind of pigeonhole themselves a little bit here, but they had been saying like the whole time, like when Tony comes back, he's the starter, like it's his job. Um, and like, you know, they were 0 4. So that made it a little easier for them to be like, all right, let's see if we can get something going. And the game that Muska came back was against BC, which looked very winnable at that time. And he actually, I think in the first half of that game, he threw for like almost 300 yards. Um, and then in the second half, they kind of imploded and ended up losing by three. Um, but, and then he won against William and Mary and then won against Carolina. So like it was, he kind of kept his job until he got hurt again. Um, and I think like it was easy to kind of make a case that what this team needed more than like big plays was consistency and that Musket could maybe do that. And you have to remember too, like when you're zero and four and in your Tony Elliott in your second year, after you went three and seven, you need to win games. Like. So he, I think that was his calculus too. Was like we we can't like just look to twenty twenty four yet <laughs> until until maybe it's like a until we win some games and then feel better, you know. Um, and at that point, going into that William and Mary game, they really needed to win <laughs> because you know things could have gone downhill very quickly if they didn't win that game. And, and then luckily, you know, for them, they won out of the bye. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to monitor this going forward. But like you know, Musket's a veteran guy and. Um, I, you know, it kind of sucks for him, honestly, because, you know, he came here to be the guy. There wasn't really competition. Uh, he had other offers. Um, and now he might be in a situation where he has to fight with a guy that a young guy for his job, you know, so we'll see how it goes. But I expect it to be a pretty healthy competition. And if they go with Musket with that, you know, like they did last year, then that would be silly, I think. And I don't think they will do that. So. As far as Tony Elliott goes, and my question really, you know, I'll preface it by saying neither one of us really anticipated that Tony Elliott, even coming out of a rough year one, was 
really in any danger. And mm-hmm. that's with on-field performance. But before you even talk about what happened off the field, right. like it's just not a situation where you would fire somebody, right? It's a really tough situation. You mentioned there not really being a blueprint for that. But when UVA starts 0-5 and, and you know, you're going into that William & Mary game against a guy in Mike London who used to coach at Virginia, <laughs> like optically yeah. speaking. His whole you, staff is UVA guys too. Uh, right. Like optically yeah. speaking, you know, if you lose that game – I feel like any goodwill that's left, right, goes out the window. And then, you know, they they go out and beat North Carolina. Was there ever any inkling, any indication that, like, if Elliot started, like, going down the rabbit hole of, like, this is going to be, like, a 1-11 type season that UVA would would move and, and, you know, even just after two years make a coaching change? I have no idea what his buyout situation is, but... Joey and I have talked to a couple people who seem to, you know, have sourcing that thought that might be the case. So I'm just curious, kind of, you know, you cover UVA every day. So I'm just curious from your standpoint, kind of what you thought yeah. that looked like. I would say the the highest point of the hottest, the hottest his seat got was probably after they lost to BC before they played William & Mary. Because then it's basically like, well, it can't get lower than losing this next game being 0-6. Um, you have to also remember one of their losses was to JMU and people don't want to lose to JMU here. So, I mean, it's the same way at tech, like you, those games, like don't, they don't may, maybe take on the same importance as like the, you know, your arch rivalry game, but like, you don't want to lose to ODU. You don't want to lose to JMU. It makes people mad. <laughs> um, even, even if JMU's good. Um, and you know, like, I think that the, the pressure was starting to kind of mount. I, I think like you mentioned, you made a good point. Like coaches don't get fired after two years at most places unless you're Auburn or, you know, have a lot of money to throw at the situation or whatever. Um, you know, and I think like we went into last season thinking, you know, it would have to be really, really bad or it would have to be something like off the field or something like that. Um, for it to get to that point, I think there were, there were people, you know, we were getting to a place at 0 and five where, you know, it was, I don't want to say it was like in play, like about to happen, but there was definitely some people getting antsy. <laughs> and also, and this is, a, we'll probably talk about this again in the fall. Um, his buyout is very, very low. Um, like, very, very low. It's like $4 million. Um, affordable. That's like, that's affordable like one if they wanted to cut a check and pay for that. Yeah. Um, affordable if they wanted to move. Yeah. And, and the thing is, though, um and you know this is true in any job you can the money so like if you wanted to like let a coach go a lot of times that money in virginia the state of virginia is like this too like the school can't like pay it they have to get the money from donors basically to pay it because he would have to be fired like for cause or whatever um and you know you can get you can have people that want to do that but if your athletic director and president aren't motivated to do it they're the ones that have to actually do it Right. So, you know, if they don't if they're not if they're going to give him time, then he's going to get the time, even if there's some people that maybe aren't on board. Um, And I think like like the North Carolina win, I think, ended any chances of that happening. Um, You know, basically at that point, it's like, all right, they won two games. They were basically picked to win two or three games. They it was the first time the school had ever beaten a top 10 team on the road, Um, which is pretty wild, uh, considering they've been playing football for like 130 years. But also, Carolina being a top 10 team, like, remember that? <laughs> that was, like, a very brief window of time um, right. where they was like, oh, is Carolina going to go to the playoff? Um, and, you know, then they were competitive in some other games. And I think at that point it was pretty clear that, you know, he was going to get more time. And and not only did he get more time, they didn't make a single change to the staff. Like, everybody's back. Um, and, you know, I think special teams is the one area where, like, you could – definitely quibble with that or at least talk about maybe reassigning some people and i know it's only january so you know who knows what will happen in the next few weeks because coaches are still moving around um but i I think like it's fair to say he's in a different place going into this year than he was going into last year given everything that happened off the field given every you know just the short time that he'd been there um you know where the roster was and and that's another good point too like it's not like he inherited an absolute disaster because Bronco had gone to bowls or been bowl eligible like a bunch of years in a row, but the, the transition was weird and it just, it wasn't like a typical transition where like, uh, 
a, a team fires a coach who's underperforming and the players like are excited to start over with a new guy. <laughs> um, there were some guys in that previous, like that first locker room that he had that were just not in on this. And, and those guys left, um, you know, one of them, I think transferred to another school in the ACC and played quarterback there, did a decent job. Um, but I mean, like, I, I think this year, he, you know, he's bringing his guys back. He's got a lot of his players back. There's really not a lot of excuses and the schedule isn't as bad. It's not great, but it's, they kind of got a little bit lucky with the redoing of the schedules. Cause they lost one of their toughest games um, and got a SMU instead. But yeah, I mean, I think it's time to, start winning um or at least being like much more competitive based on what you kind of said alluded to there justin you said he made no staff changes you mentioned that mm -hmm. maybe would have considered special teams but otherwise you seem like you're you're comfortable you think it was the right move not to make any changes on the staff i think what well, the thing is i think most of the staff i wouldn't have done anything with because you know, you could make a case that like the offense actually improved quite a bit from year one to year two, and they dealt with a lot of injuries. And the offensive line has just not been an ACC level offensive line yet. Um, and and the good thing for them this coming year is that they're bringing every player back basically that played. Um, so you hope that you can improve, and then they've added some transfers. Um, and you know, I, I, so I think like the offensive staff was pretty safe. Uh, the new wide receivers coach that replaced Marcus Higgins did a fantastic job with Malik Washington, which was a huge surprise. I mean, we thought he would be decent, but like not as yeah, I mean, not nearly as good as he was. Um, and then the quarterback development has been quite honestly pretty good after Armstrong left. I mean, like there were a lot of people kind of scratching their heads about that, but Musket and Calandria were much better in this offense than Armstrong was. Um, and, you know, the defense took a step back this year. But, I mean, if you look at how many guys they had out throughout the year, basically their entire pass rush was out. Their entire secondary was out at different times. And um, they had to play a lot of young guys. So I'm not saying you excuse all that, but you kind of – it's easy to kind of say, like, well, they were pretty good in year one and the year two was an injury year. And they played some pretty good offenses. Um, and, you know, maybe you just run that back. And so you could maybe make like a change here or there if they felt like a guy wasn't a right fit or if a coach just left for another job. But that just hasn't happened. Um, the only area, like I said before, that you could really make an obvious case that they need to make a change. And I would make this case is that they need to do something different with special teams because, um, you know, they had two punts blocked that ended up as touchdowns one against JMU in a game you lost by one and one against Louisville in a game that you lost by seven. <laughs> so yep. those were pretty big plays. Uh, you gave up a kick return against Virginia tech. That was one of the most embarrassing kick returns I've ever seen in my life. Um, they were, they just kind of jogged over and then he just ran by everybody. Um, and I want to say, yeah. And they gave up a kick return to Maryland. So, I mean, that's terrible. Um, yeah. And they're kicking, they're kicking operation and punting operation beside, well, besides the punt blocks um, and their field goal kicking operation was much better, but that's, they have a kicking and punting guy, uh, Drew Meyer. That's like their, you know, that's like not what I'm talking about. The special teams operation needs to improve. So I don't know what they're going to do to change that. It seems like they're going to keep the coaches and they kind of do like a special teams by committee thing where like everybody coaches special teams. So they might just need to look at it from an operational standpoint and figure out if they can clean that up. But all the the rest I wasn't expecting wholesale changes, so you know we'll see if the continuity helps. You mentioned Malik Washington as well, a guy that was developed, and mm -hmm. I mean he transfers in from Northwestern. To my knowledge, this is just a one year rental situation. He's out yeah. of eligibility at this point, but all he does, Justin, is come in and put up 110 catches, 1400 yards. You know, led the ACC, I believe, in both categories, and was like top five nationally in both categories. Yeah. I think he was like second in yards and like third in catches or something like that. Yeah, he's up there with some guy named like Roma Dunze and like Marvin Harrison <laughs> in terms of stats. Yeah. So that seems like pretty good company to keep. Um, but it so there's 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 a good side of that of you know that he was highly productive. There's the other side that Malik Washington being the sun, moon, and the stars of this Virginia <laughs> passing game means that most nobody else contributed significantly. I mean, you had 58 catches from Malachi Fields, and that was the only other player who caught 20 passes in this 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 team. Yeah. When, so moving forward without Malik Washington now that he's out of eligibility, is there any concern on your end of the way that that group is being developed and that there's 
there's a lot of volume that has to be made up there next year, like immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of a weird situation. Cause like every week we were like, at some point these defenses are going to catch on to this. Right. And he's not going to go for like 10 catches and 140 yards. Cause he did it just every single week. Basically. There's one guy you got to cover. Just yeah. cover him. And it was it's like they never him did. and fields and like literally the, any other receiver out there, you might as well just leave him alone. Um, <laughs> And, and the receivers that they played other than those two guys were mostly young guys. So, I mean, they're developing. Um, they have a couple of younger guys that could definitely develop into decent players. And they just – their playing time was sort of sporadic. Um, so, I think, like, you know, how do you replace all those yards and catches and touchdowns is a great question. And um, just based on what they've done in the portal and how the roster looks, I mean, the answer is going to – they're going to do it by committee. And you hope that you can put together, you know, a few guys that can make that up. And and you know how the transfer portal is. Like they might be able to do that and then some, or they might they might not work at all. Like who knows? Um, but they bring in Chris Tyree from from Notre Dame, who is a similar type player. Um, you know, he started at running back and then moved to receiver. And he's he's kind of got the same profile as Malik Washington, not quite as productive catch wise at Notre Dame, but you know, they had more guys to throw to than Washington had at Northwestern. Um, but, you know, you hope you, you bring a guy like that in and then they bring in, uh, you know, a few other, they brought in a trail Harris a transfer from Kent state. Who's pretty good. They brought in a really good tight end from Harvard, um, a position that they really haven't gotten much out of yet, but Elliot's offenses at Clemson always use tight end. So I think that's more of a personnel thing. Like they just haven't had the guys. Um, and they bring in Andre green from Carolina, who was a borderline five star recruit, but didn't really do much there. Um, he's a Virginia guy. So, you know, we'll see what happens with him. And then, you know, they have a few freshmen coming in. And like I said, they have a few guys from this past class of freshmen that could develop. And, you know, you hope that you can put together more of a consistent group rather than just one guy doing it all. Um, but you know, I, I think that what they did with Washington, um, and I, you know, he deserves a lot of the credit, but like, you know, he wasn't expected to be what he was. I mean, he caught like 50 passes or something, I think, at Northwestern the year before, maybe 60, um, and, like, really, really upped his game. So you have to hope that, you know, this staff can maybe develop the next group of guys. And that whole receiver room, I mean, like you talked about the development of the room, was impacted dramatically by the tragedy. I mean, two of the guys that died were receivers. Um, And, you know, so then that room kind of got, you know, like it it just went through a dramatic change. Dontavian Wicks goes pro. Um, he's obviously having a nice career so far. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think like that room kind of went through a dramatic overhaul and you hope that this year you start to see the gains of like all the young talent in, and then the transfers. Defensively, like, I feel like, you know, there were some games where I thought the defense kept Virginia in it. Right. Then there were some other games where it was like, wow, what the hell happened here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so very like very up and down, very inconsistent. Um, Saw a lot of good, saw a lot of bad. So it was, you know, very similar to, you know, how the offense played, just very inconsistent. Um, level of concern there heading into 24, um, as far as what Virginia is bringing back, what they're losing. Um, you know, I, I know that there are some guys there who are, you know, in some position groups that are, you know, going to have guys who are back for another year and that'll be significant, right, from a continuity standpoint. So just kind of where's that defense at? like stock wise heading at 24. Yeah. I mean, I think that the first thing that they need to fix is the pass rush, which was pretty decent in the first year with the staff two years ago. But last year, I think they were dead last nationally in sacks. Um, and it felt like they never got pressure on the quarterback and, and it just, you know, the, the, the big thing you noticed is that the running quarterbacks really ripped them up like uh, drones, King, I mean, you guys know those two guys pretty well. Um, they both had huge games against UVA. Uh, you know, and then there were some other, I know I'm forgetting some, uh, you know, Tagovailoa, he, he was pretty, he, you know, he's more of a scrambler than a runner, but he did some stuff. And, um, you know, then they had games when they played Tyler Van Dyke, they looked pretty good, you know, because he's just standing back there. Um, and, you know, they were able to sort of defend. And, you know, they had a lot of turnover in the back end of the defense, too. They had to bring in some transfers. Um, and, you know, th- that works sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't work so well. Um, and they had, you know, one of their starting safeties missed the whole year. Another one missed 10 games, I think. Um, 
and then you're playing a lot of young guys and you get used to seeing those guys back there, but you forget like they weren't really supposed to be starters. Um, and I think they'll be, if they can stay healthier next year, that'll be a big step in the right direction, especially with the pass rush. Um, Cam Butler, who's their best edge guy. Um, he got hurt in the NC state game, which is the fourth game of the year. And he never, you know, he was done for the year. Um, and he ended up leading the team in sacks, even though he only played three and a half games. So that tells you something. And he he got a waiver. I think he's like in his seventh year. So he'll be back. One of those guys. Um, I asked him actually before last season, like, why did you come back for your sixth year? And he was like, because I don't want to get a job. <laughs> like, I was like, we have more power to you. Um, <laughs> no, but I think. Yeah, and I think like if they can get some pressure on the quarterbacks and kind of contain some of the running quarterback elements, I think that'll be a huge step in the right direction. They do have some young guys that are are promising. Cam Robinson at linebacker is a guy that people are really excited about. He was a top 10 player in the state. Tony Elliott's best recruiting win out of high school um, since he's been here. Um, and, you know, he, he looked really dynamic when he got in there, had a pick six against Louisville. Had some other big flash plays. They have a couple young corners that they like, um, and a young group of defensive linemen that played in a rotation last year, and, and will probably be asked to do more this year. So, um, I, I think there's some optimism that they can be better than they were in 2023. Um, I think that the real key is like, can they get after the quarterback and, and maybe force more turnovers and things like that? Because um, I don't think they're good enough or athletic enough across the defense to to be you know like a bend but don't break type defense and that's really what they did in 2022 um because they had really really good cornerback play with Fentrell cypress who ended up being a transfer to florida state and then another guy that went pro um and they were able to kind of like get by but then when you had all this all those guys leave and la- less depth in the secondary and no pass rush it kind of caught up to them at times you talk about needing to improve that defensive side of the ball a little bit. And I think a lot of what you're seeing teams do these days, bringing in guys with a transfer portal, but something that we've talked with folks on this podcast before, and, and even, you know, regarding our own schools at times, like it really feels like with the ACC, there's a, there's a lot of programs where it's the way that I put it is it's a lot easier to transfer out than it is to transfer in. And so I guess I'm, I'm curious to get your take on that of, you know, I, I see that Virginia is bringing in a couple of corners uh, from the transfer portal, I think, and, and both yeah. guys, I think from FCS, I'm not mistaken. Um, or, I think sorry, they have one, like four guys now because um, some of them are already on the roster and then, but yeah, like they have some FCS guys and a couple Mac guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I guess I'm, I'm curious to just get your take on is, is this also a thing of, you know, it just, being a football team for the University of Virginia, it's going to be—is it going to be kind of tough to bring in a lot of transfers to try to fill holes on the roster that way? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach; you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip; you ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, I it all comes down to like, what do you have available for the player, and what do they get out of it? You know, like, it's a it's a transactional relationship. The Malik Washington, like, I'm sure he enjoyed his experience in Charlottesville, but that's a transactional thing. Like, I mean, he gets one year where he gets to be the guy. They got a really good receiver for a year, and now he's going to probably get drafted, and he wouldn't have been. He went pro last year, so that worked out for everybody, and he's probably going to get a graduate degree. Um, you know, so UVA is in a, a kind of a different situation than some schools because they, they're not in the NIL game like some schools are. Um, they've been making strides, you know, in that area and, and they're more competitive than they probably were like a year ago. But, you know, 
in, in the ACC, you can probably get by with the NIL operation they have, but you're not going to be able to get a guy if it's like you versus Ole Miss or whatever, and NIL is a factor. You're just not going to – it's not happening. Um, but, you know, like you kind of have to go out and find guys that you think – you know, they've, they've done a pretty good job of like picking guys at a lower level that they project as a guy that can play in the ACC. They've had success with transfers coming up from places like Harvard and Yale – and you know other mac schools and places like that you know other you know g5 level places and they've had some power five to power five transfers too but even like a guy like musket he was an fcs player um he had he had an offer from missouri so it wasn't like uva was the only school that thought he could play but um you know those are the types of guys they're gonna have to get and then they also have the academic piece um you can take a transfer if they meet the requirements, but the problem is UVA doesn't accept, and I know they're not the only school in this position, they don't accept all credits, right? So a lot of guys have to end up going backwards in their in their credits, you know, that they have. So if a guy is like a year away from graduating at like, let's say ODU or wherever, um, and he wants to transfer for his last year, but then UVA is like, well, you're not going to be able to graduate in one year because you have to like, you cut instead of coming in with like 110 credits, you come in with 75, you know, or whatever. I'm just making up numbers. I don't remember how many credits there are anymore. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like that, that can be a factor and, you know, that can maybe push a guy away. Um, so they have some things that they have to deal with on that front. But, you know, they've had success in the portal at finding guys quickly getting on them, you know, like developing relationships. They've also had some success bringing guys home, uh, you know, getting guys that are from the state that went elsewhere. Like Andre Green, I mentioned Tyler Neville, the tight end from Harvard is from Williamsburg. Um, you know, guys with muskets from Springfield, um, Chris Harry's from Richmond. Like they've had a lot of success getting those guys back, you know, cause sometimes that's what they're looking for is just to play closer to home. So, um, that plus playing time being available has, has helped them. Um, but you know, you're, there's just, a, there's certain guys that you're just not going to be able to get because the fit isn't there. You know, they're, if they're looking for immediate playing time at a high level, UVA isn't at a high level, you know, they're not sec big 10 caliber football. If you're looking for NIL money, they're probably not going to be competitive with like the bigger schools. So, you know, it's all about fit and, at a place like UVA, you get a lot of guys that are trying to play ACC level football that aren't, you know, they're at a lower level or you get guys that are maybe looking for a shot at a place like Virginia where you have playing time available. You know, if they were at a bigger school, maybe that just they just could break in the rotation or whatever. And I feel like a lot of ACC schools are in the exact same spot, you know, so. We've had that discussion a lot in previous podcasts about it just seems like you know, a lot of the schools in the ACC, they're benefiting from the portal in that, like, guys Louisville. just want to, tr- yeah, <laughs> guys just go, like, yes, yeah, very, like, on the extreme end of the spectrum, absolutely. Yeah, like, um, I mean, what they're doing is, like, a completely different thing than what UVA is doing, and sometimes I think fans don't understand that. Like, totally they're different. Not, they're not swimming in the same pool. But specifically, like, bringing in guys who were from the state, went elsewhere, and then came back home like Tex having success with that too mm-hmm. yep. um but circling back to the offensive line because you mentioned earlier that you know Elliot doesn't have like an ACC level offensive line yet it's tough to portal offensive linemen right like it's the, almost, the continu- impossible. almost yeah. impossible like continuity yeah. the intricacies of the position so how is the staff addressing that I guess from a player development standpoint first and then from a portal standpoint, like how has he looked to address that, if at all, in the in the first couple of windows that he's had? Yeah, I mean, this is an area where, like, um, you know, I'll be critical when I feel like they've made a mistake or like haven't done something right in recruiting or like just roster management. This is an area where I feel like they kind of got screwed <laughs> when they got here. So, you know, Broncos' last offensive line was good his best one probably especially pass blocking that's why Brennan Armstrong sat back there for 20 seconds and threw for a million yards um all those guys either were out of eligibility or transferred or went pro um pretty much like the top seven guys and that's very unusual um and and they were kind of like I mean a lot of you can 
probably find people talking about this somewhere on the internet, but like they were almost like encouraged to go in the portal while like the coaching staff change was happening. And so that made it more difficult, even though they ended up retaining the offensive line coach for one year uh, before he moved on. Um, and so they really had like not much to work with. And like we, you know, we met and they had good offensive linemen like Olu Oluwatimi was an all American center transfers to Michigan. Um, and some of those guys probably would have left anyway, um, even if Bronco had stayed. But yeah, Tony came in and really didn't have a chance to. I don't think he had time to really keep those guys, like keep them out of the portal. And then, you know, going out and trying to replace those guys was almost impossible. Um, so you get in a situation where it's like you're working with the very end of your recruiting cycle. And they took a bunch of dudes at the end of that cycle, like five offensive linemen that were committed to other plate like smaller schools or like under you know under recruited kind of guys and you just hope you can project them up to be a good enough player down the road and in some ways that's working i mean a couple of those guys are probably going to be starters this year um and they've developed and that's great but i mean some of those guys you're just going to miss on so they kind of had to take some flyers and then in the portal they went out and got what was it, like two or three offensive linemen the first cycle and you know, one worked out okay, one didn't play at all. You know how it is. It's just a crapshoot. Um, and especially with offensive linemen, because I think those guys are you're, – you're taking guys that aren't playing at the school they're at a lot of times and just hoping that they're good enough to play at your school um, based on, like, film from practices and stuff. Um, but, you know, so then this cycle, they, they their offensive line got a little older. They brought in a couple more transfers, had the same kind of results. One really good player – uh, from Dayton, you know, which is like non-scholarship football. He ended up being good, and he has another year. Then a couple of guys that will probably be depth guys. Um, but the the young group that they had kind of inherited and then signed in their first class, like right after the staff got hired, those guys are now in their third season. Um, and some of them are they're physically, you know, I just noticed when you go to practices and interview players, like they just look a lot different than when they first got here. Um, and that's great. I mean, I think that that's you sign that they're developing and you're closer to playing and they're closer to being at that ACC level. And, and they, they, they had some moments last year with the line they had, but they didn't run the ball consistently. And then there were some games where teams just got after the quarterback a lot. And I think you're just hoping that this group can continue to develop and continue to develop. And, uh, you know, you're in the second year with your offensive line coach who was previously at Stanford and you kind of hope that he could continue to develop the guys he has because there's not really a quick fix for this you know offensive line it's not like receiver where you just bring in a guy and he's playing you know they have to be physically ready to go like you get to hit on 2024 here oh yeah yep and then we'll get out of here with you Justin. sure i look so two things one i want to call out just kind of a, a weird schedule quirk and, and we're recording this the evening of uh sunday the 21st of january so we're a few days short of this the actual schedule release. Yeah, it's this dates. week, right? Yeah. yeah, it is. But we don't we don't know dates. We just know matchups. So it's it's a real exciting schedule release. I guess it's coming up. So we'll we'll have an episode mm-hmm. for you on that. I'm sure coming up. But um, one of the things I look at is I, what is the longest road trip for Virginia this fall? Is it <laughs> Notre Dame? Like yeah, they don't really go far, do they? No, um, Coastal Carolina, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, like. The thing that sucks, though, is you have six, and that's the second year in a row now that you've had six road games. And I know Tech had the same thing last year, just the way the non-conference schedule falls. And one, it's it sucks for the athletic department because it's a drain on financial resources, not being able to sell tickets and have people come into town and all that stuff. That's and then also, it's game. just like when mm-hmm. you struggle to win on the road, like a lot of teams do, like you're just adding another road trip. And it's like, you know. And for, for UVA this year, it's Coastal Carolina, which is like you could win that game because I think they're they're not bad, but I think they're kind of trending down. You know, mm-hmm. they had a bunch of guys leave and um, Grayson McCall's gone and we'll see with that Tim new Beck staff. Ain't Jamie Chadwell. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know that they're going to be able to keep at the level, but it's certainly not an, un, you know, a game that you can't lose. Um, but you have to go there. You're going to Notre Dame, which is kind of mandated. Um, but, yeah, they don't really go too far from home. Clemson yeah. or Notre Dame probably is as far as they're going to go. So, well, and, and what we've been having fun with on some of these recaps is like, which California team do you have to go play? And <laughs> Virginia doesn't even have to go. They don't have one. On the, they yeah. don't even have to go on the road to play SMU. Like, yeah. they, you know, they get SMU in their own building. So that's kind of a, a, a fun yeah. work there. 
And their schedule ended up being very similar to what it would have been, but they got rid of Florida State and added SMU. So, like, that's a net win, I think. Same. Um, I- SMU I mean, SMU losable. was good last year, but yeah. like they're not Florida State good. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's a losable game, but it's not as losable as Florida State is. Yeah, so. and they, I did, I did watch them a few weeks ago lose to Boston College. So, um, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, like I think their schedules. There's a lot of games on it where you just kind of throw your hands up and you're like, they could win that game, I guess, but they could also lose by two touchdowns. It really just depends on what this UVA team is. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so that was the other thing I wanted to ask you about is you were kind of alluding to this earlier was it just I think you were kind of talking about how this fall it's it's kind of time to start winning. If we if we're putting like a record like expectation on it in, in your mind, is it fair to say like Tony Elliott needs to make a bowl game this fall? Like is six and six the minimum or do you think like five is five and seven showing progress like is that an okay expectation for this fall yeah i mean i think like it would be six and six with the asterisk of like you never know so like if they have like a horrific injury run or something like you know things that are out of your control or or they start really slow and then they win five of six or something you know who knows maybe you save your job that way um i i would say like if you win less than five you know it's a hard sell because like what are you pitching at that point um to your donors to your fans to recruits um you know because you you've been kind of selling this like long term you know we're kind of stripping things down to the studs and rebuilding um and you know if they if they can take these close losses that they had last year and turn them into close wins i think they could be better next year especially if they get more consistent quarterback play and they can improve in some of those areas where they weren't good um, I mean, I don't think it's like that crazy with their schedule to think they could get to 500 ish. Um, the, the problem you have is like, there's also not a lot of obvious wins, <laughs> you know, it's like, there's, you know, they don't have like a, one of those non-conference schedules where it's like, well, you're going three and one at a minimum. Cause they play Maryland, they play Notre Dame. Like those aren't going to be easy. Even coastal Carolina isn't going to be easy. Um, and then in the ACC, you know, it, all the, I feel like every ACC game is like, you know you never know except for like a few games you know it's you go in like even the games uva played this year like after they beat carolina it was you never really felt like they didn't have a chance um so you know i think they'll have to find a way to just be better they probably have to be better at home an area where this staff hasn't been as good um you know that they as you know like bronco staff they they did a really nice job at home and just didn't win a lot on the road um but and that's okay. A lot of teams do that. But this staff, you know, I think like I forget what their home record is, but it's not good. Um, you know, I think they only won. They've only won one ACC home game since Tony took over. So, um, and that was Duke this year, who were playing their like third string quarterback. Um, so, I mean, they definitely need to work on that area. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, th- I think y- y- things need to trend in the right direction, but you know, how you get to that record could determine like what people think about it. I know that, you know, Bronco Mendenhall just like set a really nice bar at UVA and then leaves kind of a little bit unex- relatively unexpectedly and like yeah. a weird point in the cycle and leaves Elliot, you know, what ended up being Elliot's job, right? Leaves Elliot in a really weird spot now coming in. And as far as like, expectations are concerned i think everybody was expecting uva to take a step back but from like a fan base standpoint to have two years where you're missing bowls after just watching what mendenhall did right rolling out you know went to an orange bowl multiple bowl appearances and then to have the first two years be real bad and then now you're going into year three like What's the sell to the fan base on the Elliott regime, I guess, relative to like what Mendenhall set? Like, was the fan base expecting it to be quite this rocky through two years? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, because honestly, like the so that and again, I'm not trying to make excuses. You have to win games um, that first year. Things were expected to be better. Um, because they brought, they got Brendan Armstrong to come back. Right. And he had just thrown for like 5,000 yards. Um, and they got wicks to come back and Lavelle Davis was coming back. 
And they did lose guys like an offensive line. But when you bring back a quarterback that set all those records, it was easy to kind of paper over the areas where you might have issues. And people were like, oh, Tony Elliott's going to come in and, you know, they're going to run like a more balanced offense. And, um, you know, Brandon won't have to be like, you know, running for his life all the time because they're throwing 70 times a game. And, you know, the defense could be better because the defense Broncos last year was atrocious. Um, and, you know, Nick Howell moved on to to Vanderbilt and he's already been fired <laughs> from that job. Um, now he's back with Bronco in New Mexico. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think the expectations were that they would be a bowl team in 2022 his first year because and maybe this, this again, this is where it's like maybe that's not fair because it's a new coach, first time head coach. Um, but their schedule looked really soft on paper. Like at that in that year, they were playing Richmond, Illinois was on their schedule, who were terrible the year before, and then they beat UVA and ODU was on the schedule and Coastal at home. They never even played that game because of the shooting. Um, obviously, like Tech wasn't supposed to be very good. Um, that was were, winnable. That was winnable for yeah. UVA. I mean, yeah, like who sure. knows what would have happened in that right. game? But like you know, Syracuse was better than people thought they would be that year. Uh, Duke was way better than people thought they were going to be. But those were all games where we were looking at them like, oh, they they can win in these games. Like, and maybe that was because the bar was raised from Bron- you know Broncos tenure, where you know UVA fans and media were kind of expecting more competency, and it just didn't look that way. And it looked like a first year head coach with like a brand new team. And then this year, I think the expectations are last year I should say twenty twenty three. The expectations were very low, and they basically met those <laughs> expectations. They didn't go zero and twelve. Um, and you know, like so, they were they were picked last in the league, and they fin- they didn't finish last, but they were pretty close. Um, and you know, I, I think you go into this year, and I think the there were a lot of people that were kind of like early in the season, twenty twenty three, were kind of like, I don't think this is going well. And then they beat North Carolina and look competitive against Miami, and they beat Duke, and everybody was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. And then you lose fifty five to seventeen to your rival, and that's where it becomes harder to like connect with the fans if you don't win in 2024 is like when is it gonna like turn you know and and you're seeing other schools do it i think the worst thing that could have happened to tony elliott was mike elko's success at duke um because people were like that roster was worse than ours and look how many games they've won um and maybe that was maybe that's just because elko's great maybe that was just kind of lightning in a bottle we don't know they were doing that in uh, they were doing that in Blacksburg too, yeah. Justin. After year one with Pry, it was a very similar thing. Look what Elko did in year one. And now like, Tech is kind of like the benchmark now, where it's like, well, Tech has already kind of turned it around, and they're a bowl team now. So it's like, what are we doing? Um, and I think like they're getting the patience to the point where it's like, no, but there isn't like a mass protest for him to be fired or anything like that. We haven't reached the Mike London levels of like, he's got to go, even though we like him sort of thing Uh, with Tony. It's sort of like, you know, a lot of fans are just kind of checked out anyway. And that's just the apathy around the program right now, which isn't good. And that's something they're trying to combat. But like, you know, I, I think this year will be the benchmark, you know, He's either going to turn it around and they're going to be better or he's not. And frankly, I think if he doesn't, then I think he's probably gone. Just for the record, um, I believe I'm higher on this staff and this regime at this point right now than I was this time last year. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. Me too. Back to back three wins seasons, you'd think I'd be lower after the second one, but like I just again, I felt like I saw improvement. I saw, I thought I saw growth through the year, and that's that's it's, promising to me. It's purely in the eye of the beholder because, like you know, I talk to a lot of fans who get really frustrated with the losses, but I'm looking at it and I'm like, they re- almost beat Miami as like a twenty point underdog on the road. They almost beat Louisville as like a twenty point underdog on the road. Like they were winning in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah maybe you could say like they could have won it and like the JMU game. I mean, JMU was what, like 11 and one and UVA was up 13 on them in the fourth quarter. And then they had like an hour and a half rain delay. And then JMU comes out of the delay and scores two quick touchdowns and wins the game. You know, it's like if that game goes different, maybe your season goes different. The Boston college game, they were up 14, you know, and they blew that one. And again, you don't get it. You still blew the lead. Like, it's not like that's a good thing necessarily, but, you know, I think like they were competitive against a lot of teams that they probably shouldn't have been or weren't expected to be. And, um, 
you know, the offense improved and, and they looked more like a competent team. Like they weren't, they didn't have like the issues with the penalties and the year one stuff, you know, you see, um, they cleaned a lot of that stuff up. It's just like they had some special teams issues and the defense regressed and they didn't have enough consistency, um, especially late in games. But like, you know, I, I think there was, they were certainly much more competitive in some games than I thought they would be. And you just have to find a way to translate that into wins. Like, you know, you have to turn a close loss against NC state at the gun to like a three point win. So you just need to be like a little bit more efficient and, you know, they're either going to, like I know it sounds kind of like simple, but they're either going to do that or they're not like, you know, at this point we'll just have to see what happens. Like, you know, and I think, like I said, if, if they do, then I think if they go six and six in year three, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism given all the stuff that happened in the first two years. Um, if they go three and nine, I don't really see what the pitch is. You know, going forward. Yeah. So there's so many 50 50 games, too, like like we were talking about. It just feels like, yeah, you know, a coin flip. You know, it's a coin flip in several games. And, you know, it really doesn't take a whole lot of results to go differently to end up at six and six. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're talking about the one point loss JMU. You're talking about that Miami and Louisville game, like (laughs) two games where you're not even expected to be competitive. I mean, NC State's the perfect example. Like, NC State. Calandria takes them down. They they tie the game. All right, so they score a touchdown to go down by two. Then they get a penalty for like a, a after the whistle penalty on one Heinous. offensive lineman. Heinous. Which is yeah. like, what are you doing? Then he can completes the two point conversion from the seventeen, and it's, and then he took his helmet off, which was kind of like accidental. <laughs> but he took his helmet off, and then I they kick off from this. their own fifteen oh or whatever. So <laughs> NC State gets An a implosion. short field, and then go down and kick a game winning field goal. Like you're like one penalty away from maybe winning that game, you know. JMU, you're probably they had him in like third and fifteen, I think, at one point, with like a minute. You know, like you're talking about like literally like three or four plays you could have won. And I don't think they would have been a bowl team necessarily, but maybe like instead of three and nine, you go five and seven. And then like, optically speaking, like this looks thing a looks lot better, entirely better. Right. right, it looks a lot better probably going into year three, where okay, well now you've established a five win benchmark in year two okay if you don't necessarily make a bowl game but you win five after winning five the previous year it's like all right this is at least close to bowl eligibility we Mm -hmm. know we have a track versus going you know whatever was one win three wins whatever they won year one was it one or two wins in year one it was they won three three yeah but they were it was a short it was a three yeah three and seven yeah. yeah So three and those seven. wins were bad wins. I mean, they beat Richmond. They beat a really bad ODU team at, at the gun on a field goal. And then they beat Georgia Tech on the road. And Georgia Tech was playing like me at quarterback, I think, in that game. Yeah, um, banged up. Because Jeff Sims got hurt. Yeah. Um, but, the quarterback ran out of bounds. As, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, exactly. Well yeah. That was so bad. That was oh, a terrible football I'm game. Still mad on a Thursday that. night. Joey, Joey, he was it was an aneurysm situation for Joey. It was not yeah, that good. was really bad, but yeah. I mean like, yeah, I mean, you just have to find a way to like, I don't think they're going to start blowing people out this year, but they need to at least turn some of these close losses into close wins. And I think they can do it. I, I wouldn't necessarily bet my life savings that they're going to do it. Um, but cause I think you still have a talent deficit. And I think that honestly might be a, a case for the staff is like they've they've been competitive with a roster that's not as good as the rosters they're playing against. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like maybe the staff can figure out a way to like maximize things. But, you know, they you have to turn that like I hope they do it or I think they might do it into some sort of like proof that you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I mean, to me, the most impressive stretch of the season there was four games, three of them on the road, win at North Carolina, overtime at Miami, and then going into Louisville, had a lead in the fourth quarter on a Thursday night, like all that. I That was really impressive to me. The one game in between was getting blown out by Georgia Tech. And I, yeah. Georgia Tech, I hear like, I, that should not have been a blowout. And But as you mentioned, I mean, Tony Muskie gets hurt at the end of the first drive. Anthony Calandria thought he was redshirting, like – yeah, that one went like sideways, in, in, too. It was close until, like, halfway through the second quarter. And then Georgia Georgia Tech ran all over them, too. That was yeah. kind of, like, a weird. But that's another kind thing. Like, if you want to make the case against the staff, you had that game. You had the, the Virginia Tech game where, like, 
they did whatever they wanted to do on both sides of the ball um, after having lost the week before um, on your home field. Uh, Tennessee, uh, Tennessee at the beginning of the year, that game was like, oh, well, they're going to get destroyed. And they did, but Tennessee ended up being like, okay, like not as good as they were the year before. Um, and certainly not a team that you have to lose to 49 to 10 or whatever it was. Um, and then Maryland, they were up 14, nothing and then lost like 42 to 14. (laughs) So, I mean, there were some blowouts in there too. Um, the BC game, like, you know, that was terrible in the second half and, you know, so they're going to have to do a lot better, but, um, you know, I think that they're going to be one of those ACC teams. It's like they could finish seven and five. They could finish four and eight like right in the middle and you know you but you just have to i think the results matter at some point yep. mike i'm good anything else for justin while we got him oh real quick just like recruiting yeah. trend wise like how how is the staff recruiting relative to what the expectations were coming in has that improved gotten worse like how's that looking in terms I, I would of... say like it was slow starting um you know they kind of got a late start in that first class and then their first full class i think was not i don't want to say like they don't have talent in that class but like they took some flyers um i think they had they kind of struggled to kind of get their footing and you had a lot of guys on that staff that were not from here you're trying to recruit this area and you know that takes time um I will, the 2024 class that they just signed is small, so it's not ranked high because they only signed like 13 guys. But th- there's not like a – I don't think there's a lot of like reaches in that group. Um, they're all pretty solid. Uh, and then this 2025 class, they're actually doing quite well. They have three commits already. Um, a four-star receiver who's like a top 10 player in Virginia who's good. Um, they, they already got their quarterback who's a good player from – new england and then they got a lineman from nashville that's good so i think if they can put this together then you know like if they can continue to get guys like that i mean that's those are acc caliber players in the 2025 class for sure um and you just have to find a way to get more of those guys and fill your roster out with those guys and then supplement in the portal instead of trying to like make your roster through the portal yeah um because only louisville can do that um (laughs) so far and colorado is gonna try um but yeah you don't want to be in that situation so we'll see but again like you know i was talking about this with the buddy recently like it's really great to see them succeeding in this 2025 class but it's so early and it means nothing if they don't win games like because if this if this group doesn't win games, like twenty five is gonna be out. Yeah, the new guy's gonna be re recruiting those guys in a few months. Yeah. So, well, and yeah. especially in the portal era, I mean, that's such a it's such a dangerous thing to like somewhat base uh, do we fire him or not decision on like well with the recruiting class coming in, it's like yeah, those guys could all be gone within a year if you keep them anyways. So like you know, you, I'd like to think you would just kind of ignore that at this point but who knows yeah exactly and also i think i think schools are going to have to get used to there being blips where like you know we were just talking about like tony's kind of development it's like first year kind of like reconstruction second year it's like try to just get through it and, and do the best you can with a young team and then this year you should see the gains and that's kind of the old school way like that's how it used to be um it takes a couple years and then we're gonna get good and that's still going to be the case for some schools. But nowadays with the portal, you're going to see a school like Louisville or whoever that are just immediately really good. But then the next year, they might be much worse because they just didn't get the right guys. Um, and it won't be as linear. So, like, if Tony Elliott nailed all of his transfers this year, they could go eight and four. And then it's like, oh, man, they're doing great. But then 2025 comes and they don't hit on those guys and they're back to being bad again. You know, so I think schools like Virginia are probably going to be more volatile um, than they used to be up and down and you know you'll see that especially if you get the quarterback right so and jo- joey and i had a discussion recently we were like just talking about the portal in general i am curious if some schools just nail a portal class right and they come in you know staff comes in i mean brahm's a great example of louisville right come in year one they're really good against a soft schedule and then i know they're i know they're just rating the portal and it's looking really mm-hmm. good again but let's say year two all of a sudden they're like six and six or something it's like did you just set expectations way too high because you just happened to you know kind of get lucky a little bit and just nail every portal guy that you went in and grabbed like and now all of a sudden your expectations are up here and now that you're like 
meeting expectations. It's not going to be good enough for the fan yeah. base. I'm just wondering if like That's some the, of these we coaches call that end the Justin up, Fuente. We, it's the Justin <laughs> Fuente. It's like you're inadvertently like handcuffing yourself, and you have no idea until after yeah. the fact. Mel Tucker is another example. Mel Tucker. Of where he had like a bad first year and then his second year they were like really really good because they got like a few good transfers and then they weren't able to repeat it yeah um, yeah so yeah we'll see i mean uva is not in that situation because i don't think they brought in enough guys to be in that situation but you know they're gonna need some of these guys to hit for sure so yeah. justin this has been awesome as as mike mentioned before you are always so generous with your time we really appreciate it uh, do you want to tell the people real quick where they can go find your stuff? Yeah, uh, CavsCorner.com. Uh, it's on the Rivals Network. You can find all of our stuff. It's mostly basketball right now um, as UVA tries to figure out if they're any good or not um, <laughs> as we move into February. So we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, football, spring football right around the corner for sure. So Really appreciate it, Justin. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining Absolutely. us. Yep. We would love to have you on again sometime soon, especially at the, at the very least to preview next season, but maybe sometime else this offseason. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Awesome. Mike, you uh, want to work on getting out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at FTRS Joey, at Mike McDaniel SI, at BC Podcast ACC, at Justin underscore Fervor. Uh, for Justin on the, the Twitter network, he's, uh, he's with the Rivals Network as well, so go find that. <laughs> Twitter um, network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can send us an email, questions, comments, concerns, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, all the good places you go find podcasts. Uh, Mike, we're also on the social medias. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find some of our podcasts there. Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. YouTube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. Please subscribe. Please subscribe, like, uh, rate, review, hit the bell icon, all those things that people tell you to do. Appreciate that. Uh, Mike, you want to come back? Keep previewing, uh, previewing. Good grief! Recapping some more teams. If we take too long on the recaps, we'll be into preview season. So we better speed that up. They'll start turning into previews. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Yep. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, we will talk to you all again very, very soon to preview some more team. Recap some more. Th- good grief! I need to go to bed. Recap some more teams. Uh, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Justin Ferber, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again very, very soon. Until then, go Hoos. Virginia is awesome. And go ACC.